Hi everyone, Pete Sardis here for The Lore You Know, and today we're going to talk about a case that just blows my mind. It is the Theranos trial with Elizabeth Holmes. It's the biggest thing since sliced bread, especially if you're in Silicon Valley. We're gonna talk about who she is and kind of how we got here. We're gonna talk about what's going on with this trial that's going on right now, and we're gonna make some predictions about what I think is gonna happen in the future. If you like this video, click like below. If you like this type of content, subscribe to our channel. All right, so let's talk about who Elizabeth Holmes is and what is Theranos. Elizabeth Holmes is a gal that I think is the poster child of Silicon Valley. At 19 years old, she was a sophomore at Stanford University and came up with this concept that she could produce blood lab technology that with a single drop of blood, think about like how diabetics uh, test their blood sugar, she could test for everything from uh, cholesterol all the way through to HIV in one single test. So she winds up going to her professors at Stanford and basically tells them what's going on and she decides to drop out of school to start this project. So she's out of school and she starts this project which is now known as Theranos. The name Theranos comes from the words therapy and diagnosis Theranos, which on a side note, for those of you that may not know Greek, the word for death in Greek is thanatos, which is only one letter distinction between Theranos anyway. She winds up uh, starting this company and she gets an unreasonable amount of high-end I mean, the who's who of America is involved in this company. Let me give you some examples. First of all, her Stanford professors became members of the board of directors at Theranos. Additional board of directors, Harry Kissinger, former United States Secretary of State. George Shultz, another former United States Secretary of State. The former Senate Majority Leader. All these people come on board with her to be on their board of directors. So they went out looking for investors, obviously to fund the growth of Theranos. And she got investors. Let me give you some of the big ones. The Walton family. Uh, you may have heard of Walmart. That's the people that own Walmart. $150 million. Rupert Murdoch. For those of you that don't know who Mr. Murdoch is, he is the owner of Fox. Uh, and I don't mean just Fox News, but I'm talking about Fox Networks. He put in about $120 million into this. We also have the Devos family. You may have heard of her. She was uh, the Secretary of Education under Trump. They've got about $100 million in this project. So to make a long story short, what wound up happening is you've got the who's who in American society backing this young girl who winds up going from literally nothing to a company with a valuation of $9 billion in the course of about eight or so years. So she's the youngest self-made billionaire. She's touted as basically the, you know, the youngest, most successful woman entrepreneur in history. Okay, so let's discuss what went wrong in this enormous company. Okay, 2015, 2016, some newspaper articles come out about Theranos. And let's just be clear, this is at a time where this company is worth about $9 billion. The discussions were two things. Number one, that the technology that Theranos was touting was not actually anything new and revolutionary, meaning it wasn't just a one blood, you know, one prick uh, test to test for every possible bad thing that could be in your blood. But what they were actually doing was using third parties that already had technology in place in order to get results from multiple different third parties and give you one concise result. 
Really nothing revolutionary in that at all. Most blood labs do that anyway. The second thing that became an issue was how accurate the testing was. And the articles that came out in the Wall Street Journal said that the accuracy of the testing for some of the tests that they had done, meaning uh, they had bought in their own uh, own people to just get the get a finger prick and see what the results were, were far different than what the results were from standard blood lab. This obviously story breaks, and what winds up happening is Elizabeth Holmes goes on some big national television shows on these huge programs like a CNBC or a, you know stock programs, and basically says this is not true. There are no third-party vendors. Everything we do is done in-house. Everything we do is done through our proprietary hardware and software. There's no outside interference, and our accuracy is great. And the reason you're getting these stories from other people is because this software and this technology in Theranos is revolutionary. It's going to change the way that blood testing is done in this country. And all of those special interests that like the way it gets done now, because it could be very expensive, and very lucrative, don't like it. So they're trying to, to, to screw up their IPO, which is their initial purchase offer, to let this company go public. Based on that information, the Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC, starts doing a little bit of digging, and they wind up finding some inconsistencies that are concerning. Um, in the course of those inconsistencies, some people were deposed that were inside the company, and it led them to believe, meaning the SEC, that this technology was really not a soup to nuts testing of all bloodborne pathogens like Theranos had touted, but really they were only good at identifying a couple of things. And beyond that, they weren't even sure how good the accuracy of the results were. Anyway, to make a long story short, they send it over to the U.S. Attorney's Office. The U.S. Attorney's Office winds up indicting Elizabeth Holmes. Theranos winds up going bust. And right now, the trial has started. She is charged with a couple of different things. Two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. And what that means is conspiracy. Two or more people that have come together to make an agreement to do something unlawful, and one of those people has done something to further that ultimate goal. Two counts of that. Then there's 10 counts of actual wire fraud. And what is wire fraud? Frankly, wire fraud is the fancy way of saying you committed a fraud, meaning you lied or you manipulated somebody by use of the telephone, the fax machine, or the internet. That's pretty much what wire fraud means. What's interesting about these charges, though, is each one of these charges has a 20-year uh, statutory cap. And in federal court, we have something called a federal sentencing guideline. And what that guideline is, is it provides the judge a range of what a reasonable sentence should be based on a number of sentencing factors that are included in the United States sentencing guideline. Because of the humongous numbers of victims, meaning investors and end users, we'll talk about what the fraud on them is supposed to be, and the huge number of dollars at stake, hundreds of millions of dollars, frankly, $9 billion of valuation if you want to go that far, the sentences on these cases, even a single solitary conviction, scores federal prison time. So the stakes are huge for her. Um, let's go back to what the fraud charges are. It's twofold. Number one, they're alleging that Elizabeth Holmes 
may have doctored the initial numbers in their disclosure of the private memorandums that went out to get investors. And what the allegations are is that there are a couple of line items that equal, let's just say a, a couple hundred million dollars, which were made very early on in the investment process that may not have been legitimate. So the argument is you, Elizabeth uh, Holmes, wound up lying about how many people had actually invested in this company in order to entice other people that had legitimate money to put their money in your hands. Because it's always easier to give up large sums of money if you're not the only one doing it. The second part of this fraud is that there are people that actually depended on the results from the tests that they received from Theranos. And those test results are not accurate, at least that's the allegation. And these people changed their health decisions. They may have uh, altered their medications. They may have changed their doctors or may have gone against their doctor's recommendations based on the information provided by them for the Theranos blood results. And they're also victims at this point, you know, they may have screwed up their health because of the decisions they made based on the Theranos promises that these things are good. The trial's actually in play right now. We got a jury and they're gonna start opening arguments Wednesday, I believe is September 15th. What does the government have to prove? To make it simple, the government has to go in there and they've got to prove that Elizabeth Holmes knew that what she was touting was wrong and that she knowingly gave the information that was wrong to these people in order to entice them to defraud them into making decisions that benefit her. So that's gonna be really what this 13-week trial is supposed to be about. What do you think, based on what I've told you? Do you think she knew? Do you think these humongous powers that are involved in this company, and I'm talking about guys like her professors and these former you know, humongous political figures, the Walton family, do you think all these folks knew that maybe the Theranos model wasn't perfect, but they made her go out there and, and sing the policy of the, of, the, of the company slogan because they had no choice to, make, to maximize her profits? Or do you think she actually knew what was going on? You let us know what you think below. What's going on now? We just got a jury picked. Today is September 8th and we're making this video. There are now 12 jurors that have been selected to sit in judgment in this case. There are five women, seven men. There are also five alternate jurors, meaning the 12 people sitting in the box that are gonna make a decision are, are the ones that are going to uh, have to sit and deliberate at the end of the trial. But because the trial is supposed to be 13 weeks long, the judge has added five additional alternate jurors on the panel. And those folks are there in case somebody gets sick, something happens to them where they can no longer serve as a juror. The judge has five additional people to, to, to put in their seats. So why? Why are all of these jurors being, um, you know, being selected for this case? First of all, it's 13 weeks. That's a long time. It's, you know, uh, three and a half months per of trial. The second reason is during jury selection, a lot of things happen that are, from my perspective, and this is what drives me crazy, strange. Because in this case, in the Theranos case, before we even showed up for jury selection, there was a book that was written by a guy by the name of Richard Carreyrou, and that book is called Bad Blood, and it's an entire book based on Theranos and the Elizabeth Holmes story, all of which was out there 
before this trial started. There are two made-for-TV movies apparently in the in the pipeline, and they're just waiting for a verdict so they can publish their uh, their movies. There is a blog that is completely and utterly dedicated to Theranos and the Elizabeth Holmes case, and all of these things have nothing to do with the constant news and media attention that's going on in Southern California because from a perspective of Silicon Valley, this is the biggest news that they've ever had. And there's going to be a lot of risk to them in this case. And we'll talk about why here in a little bit. Okay, so yesterday, while jury selection's happening, 14 people out of the 40 prospective jurors are called the Venari are dismissed right off the bat. Why? Because they raised their hand and said, I have heard of Elizabeth. I have heard of Theranos. I've read the book. I listened to the podcast. I've seen the news. And because of that exposure that I've had personally, I cannot be fair and impartial in this case. So right off the bat, 14 people they lost. Um, I can't speak to all the details of every question that happened in that federal courtroom, but I know as of this morning, we have a jury picked like I said, those 12 people, five women, seven men, one of them came in today and said something to the judge. And they said this, judge, my job will not pay me to be gone for 13 weeks. I can't sit in this jury. So realize this is going on day one. We haven't started the trial yet. It's still the day after jury selection. The judge made the right call and said, we're not gonna make any decisions right now. I, the judge, is gonna make a phone call to that juror's employer to remind them that jury service is in fact an obligation of US citizens and it would be a crime to fire someone for not showing up for work because they're on jury duty. I don't know if that person's gonna be obligated to pay that specific juror. Jurors do get paid for long trials. It's probably like $8 a day. It's something very small, it's pretty much lunch. But we will see how that works itself out. But these are the kind of kinks that you're gonna see in a big long trial over 13 weeks. So much can happen. What's the other side of the story gonna look like? What is the defense in this case gonna be? Uh, it's been really hush-hush so far, but there's a little bit of news that broke over the last couple of weeks. And between you and me, I think that it was a strategic leak just to kind of, to, to get the feel of people in the, pub, in, in the media, in the public eye, to see how people feel about these various defenses. Uh, one defense is going to be that there's a gentleman by the name of Sonny, which is, whose real name is Ramesh Balwani. Sonny Ramesh Balwani. And who is this guy? He is Miss Holmes' former love interest. He's also the former COO of Theranos. What I think may be a defense is she is going to claim or has claimed that over the course of their personal relationship, he was abusive to her. And because of that the abusive nature of that relationship, all of the decisions that were made that are tantamount to fraud were actually things that she was forced to do because of his heavy handedness. We'll see how that goes because Mr. Balwani's trial, because he's also charged in this case, is set for next year. So she, uh, meaning Miss Holmes, is going to be running this defense first to see if it makes sense, if, it, if she can take the blame off of herself and put it onto somebody else. The second big defense that I keep hearing is gonna come out, like, listen, I'm not part of the defense team. I don't know what they're gonna do, but this is just my thoughts on, on the topic. They may bring out the culture of Silicon Valley. What does that mean? We keep hearing about this fake it till you make it culture that exists. For those of you that don't know, Silicon Valley is where all the high tech stuff happens in this country. A lot of the humongous IPOs and the big public offerings of these companies that go from zero to a billion dollars overnight comes from that part of the country. 
to them, the story is at least, that they fake it till they make it. Meaning they've got a great idea, they go forward on that great idea. Does it work 100%? No, but that's why we need the investment because if we can get the right amount of money and the right amount of brains to, to troubleshoot the problem, it becomes a huge wonderful product like an Amazon or like a Microsoft or a Google or something like that. So the, the theory is that she's going to say that this is what we do here in Silicon Valley. We come up with a great idea that generally works and then we get investors until we can fine tune it, at which point we get it fixed, we put it out there and we all become rich. So we'll see if that becomes a defense to say it's not fraud, it's just the way life happens and the way investments happen here in Silicon Valley. I don't know, it's a little tough for me, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's talk about timing for a second. Opening statements are going to start this coming Wednesday. That's when the trial actually begins. We took a couple days to pick a jury, which is frankly not abnormal, uh, especially in a federal case. I'll share with you that in my experience, I have tried a number of wire fraud and federal fraud trials. George Tragos and I had a fraud case years ago that lasted 26 weeks. He and I wound up leapfrogging over each other uh, over for, for six months, basically, of who was in court based on who, what witnesses were testifying and who was out of court basically preparing for the next day. So these big, long trials are, are, are complicated, uh, but there is going to be a framework that is followed by all these cases regardless of where they are. And here's the framework. We've got a jury. Great. Monday starts opening statements. The government is going to basically put out their case and say, this is what we intend to prove. Elizabeth Holmes' defense team, which are some really high-powered guys, those guys are going to make a decision at that point whether they also want to do an opening statement or if they want to reserve an opening statement until some point where, for example, the government rests and then they can gather their thoughts and just open at that point. That's strategic. We'll see what they decide to do. From that point, what will happen is the government will put on witness after witness after witness. I'm anticipating you'll see former employees of Theranos. I anticipate you're going to see you know, investors that are pretty angry that they've lost whatever investment they've had. I'm sure there are going to be lay people that used Theranos' technology for blood testing. They're going to be you know, just the little people witnesses, the victims of this particular case. I think you're going to see them all lined up. I anticipate you're going to see a lot of expert witnesses, people, for example, that are accountants, forensic accountants that went through the books and can say, when we follow the money, we couldn't shore up these $100 million deposits from early on in the Theranos you know, books that say, hey, these were probably fake. Uh, there's going to be computer experts that are going to testify, I presume, that the database of users that Theranos said that they had that was accidentally destroyed back in 2018, interestingly, right about the time where the criminal investigation's wrapping up, are going to testify to say either, yes, we could recover them, no, we couldn't recover them, and just what all of that entails. So I anticipate you're going to have a lot of lawyer sidebar conversations, meaning discussions with the judge outside the hearing of the jury. I think you're going to have a lot of motions that just get filed every morning during the week of trial that the court has got to deal with one way or another. It's going to be a slow trial. I think it is going to be a very grueling trial, not only for the lawyers, but also for the jury, which is why the judge rightfully so and very wise has picked five additional people to be able to stick in those slots because if somebody goes home out of that jury and somehow gets tainted, they're obligated to tell the court that and they very well may be dismissed. Why is all this such a big deal? Why is Silicon Valley really so focused on this case of all cases. 
Frauds haven't happened before? Sure they have. Trials longer than this one? Absolutely. With more money than what's at stake here? Possibly. But what makes this one so special? I'll tell you what it is. Silicon Valley has this culture of how they do business. And Silicon Valley has sprouted some of the youngest, richest people in history ever to walk on this planet overnight by some of the venture capital and the IPO stuff that happens in that part of the country. And they're looking at it because they're trying to figure out, is the way that they do business going to be legitimized by a jury? Meaning, is a jury gonna come back at the end of this and say, it's just the way things work, you made an investment, it didn't work out, your problem, it's not a crime. Or is Silicon Valley's way of doing business going to be forever affected? Meaning that the future IPOs and all these startups have to think about the way they promote, the way they sell, the way they you know go seek investment and investors because they could find themselves the exact same defendant's chair that Elizabeth Holmes is sitting in right now. Um, what about her? I think she's burned. I think no matter what happens, win or lose, no one in business will ever be able to touch her to bring her on board again because there is a foreseeability that this person very well may have had some illegal activity in the course of a, of a business enterprise. I think you'd be a fool as an entrepreneur to bring this person on board, especially in a public company, with all the accusations that have been made against her. If she wins, I think her income is gonna be selling books, uh, speaking at universities, maybe you know TV shows and movie rights. That's what I think her future is going to be, which between you and me can be very lucrative. Look at O.J. Simpson. Um, if she loses though, she cannot profit from any of those deals I just talked about because the federal statute's very clear. You cannot profit from criminal enterprise. So you lose, you're not making any books, you're not doing any speeches for money, it's over. Uh, forget about the fact that you're probably going to prison for a very, very long time because again, even if she loses on one count, she scores federal prison. If she loses on all of them, they can, I mean, she'd probably look at the rest of her life uh, as a possibility for incarceration. So a lot of big stakes here coming up. So we'll see what happens. If you like this video and you like this particular topic, drop a comment below and let me know and I'll keep following it for you if you guys find it interesting. If you don't think it's interesting, well, don't leave any comments and I won't do another video on it. Beyond that, if you like the video, click like. If you enjoy this type of content, hit subscribe below and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.